be seated. So wonderful to see so many of you here with us today and thankful for a good weather and uh, thankful that we all can worship the Lord uh, today in this, in this beautiful land the Lord has given to us. And thanks for everyone watching online as well. Let me give a particular shout out. I think there's three people from uh, Ottawa and two from Aurelia. I just want to th say thanks for joining us online and welcome. And we're glad that uh, technology affords us the opportunity to, to gather together. Um, uh, can you humor me for a little bit? What I want to do, okay, is I'm going to take a couple of selfies. Are you ready? So I'm going to go this side first, and then I'm going to go this side after. And what I want you to do is take photos as well. And when you post it online, can you tag us, whether it's on Instagram? I think I'm just going to move this out. All right, maybe that sounds a little bit better. It's a little echoey up here, so hold on. All right, so tag us on Instagram, Unionville Alliance, or Facebook, whichever. Say that you're out here. Invite people to come out for our next outdoor services. Again, we have two more. We're doing every other week outdoors. All right, so here goes. Hold on, let me get my camera ready. I'm going to ask, okay, I'm going to ask this side to stand up. Ready? Okay. Let me see if I can get you all. All right, okay. Awesome. All right, now I need you guys to wave. So like, all right, ready? On three, one, two, three. All right. Okay, now this side over here, can I get you guys to stand up? All right, here goes. I'm gonna get you all to wave. One, two, three. All right, perfect. Okay, so if you take photos and uh, if you take photos, please tag us online and share with other people. Encourage them to come out and worship the Lord together. And if you're watching online, can I ask you a favor? Can you just take a photo of how you are watching today, whether it's in your living room, whether it's in your bedroom, whether it's at your coffee table, whatever it might be, take a photo, tag us online. We would love to be able to see it, and uh, we will reshare it as well on our pages. So. Good to see everyone. So wonderful once again that we can gather together like this and worship the Lord uh, together. So we're studying in this series uh, ancient prayers and modern lessons. Uh, and it's been great for, for us here as a community to see so many different people that are engaging with us. Um, whether it's with the prayer walk, whether it's with the Bible reading, whether it's uh, there's a prayer walk this Tuesday, tomorrow night prayer meeting. Thank you for engaging in prayer and thank you for answering the call to pray. Uh, as the, the first message in this series, I put out a call for all of us here at Unionville Alliance. Let us come into the season of prayer. And we're going to be having a time of fasting and prayer in August. I know that sounds a little bit daunting, but don't worry, I'll give you some more information regarding that. Okay. And we did a prayer challenge uh, probably about two years ago or so. If you subscribe to that, you're still on our mailing list for that. But if you want to jump on for this fasting and prayer time, and I'm going to send out an email every week, every day for that week, uh, just to give a little bit of teaching and understanding about fasting and prayer and things that you could be praying for, uh, then subscribe to that online. You can get all that information uh, at our website. Now, Today, we are going to study one of the most significant prayers in the Bible, known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, right? It's one of the most powerful, revealing, heartfelt, emotional prayers that Jesus ever prayed. This happened on the eve of his crucifixion, so understand the context. Jesus is getting ready to die the next day. 
okay? As he's preparing himself for death, the end of his life here on earth, okay? Preparing for death, he's praying this very emotional, heartfelt prayer. Now, here's the question. What would you say or what would you tell someone else if, it, if you knew that this was the second last day that you were gonna live? If you knew you were gonna die tomorrow, what would you want to communicate to your loved ones? What would you want to communicate to those that are around you? And so Jesus praying this very heartfelt, emotional, very powerful and revealing prayer is really important because we get a little glimpse into what was really important for Jesus. We get a little glimpse into Jesus's heart, but also we get to overhear a conversation that takes place in the heavenly places between Jesus and the Father. If you ever thought of what was it like before, man, before humanity was created, what was it like between Jesus and the Father? Well, you get a little taste of that as we get to overhear a conversation, right? This prayer that Jesus prays to his heavenly Father. We get a glimpse into how Jesus really felt. John Piper says about this prayer, he says this, quote, here Jesus prays the greatest prayer in the world. He calls it the greatest prayer in the world. What hung in the balance was the glory of God's grace and the salvation of the world. The success of Jesus's mission to the earth depended on Jesus's prayer and the answer was given. So we get this glimpse Remember, it's all about relationship. A couple of weeks ago, we studied the Lord's Prayer and we, we studied it through this lens and focus of our Father because I wanted to emphasize to you the, the, the importance of relationship. And here we get a little bit of a glimpse into the relationship between Jesus and his heavenly Father. And our perspective really means a lot because as we're overhearing this heavenly conversation, we need to have the right perspective. It's so important, it's so critical, it's so vital to understand the right perspective before we can understand the complexity of this prayer as well. Now, this prayer we could do a whole series on, there's so much there, so I'm just gonna streamline it a little bit this morning. But before that, I wanna tell you a story so we can understand what perspective is. Uh, Nicky Gumball in his uh, Bible in One Year Plan tells the story uh, of uh, Robert Cummings, and the story is actually found in a book written called uh, Vision and the Vow. And he tells the story of this paint, uh, this critic, art critic, his name was Robert Cummings, and he was looking at a painting, a 15th century Italian Renaissance painting by a master called Filippino Lippi, and it was at the London National Gallery. It, it was a depiction of Mary holding infant Jesus in her lap, with the saints Dominic and Jerome kneeling nearby. And as he was looking at this painting, this art critic is looking, he's staring at this painting and he's looking at this and he's saying, this is all wrong. The proportions are all wrong, right? He looked at this and he said, look, the, the background, the hills, they're not proportioned properly. The people that are kneeling and praying, it's, it's not proportioned at all. And Robert Cummings wasn't the first person to criticize this painting as something that was not proportioned well. But he was the person that found out the secret to the painting. See, this painting was in a public art gallery, but Robert Cummings realized that this painting originally was commissioned to be in a prayer room. It was commissioned to be in a place of prayer. 
So do you know, do you know what he did? He knelt down. And when he knelt down, he looked up at the painting and his whole perspective changed. Then he realized that things were not out of proportion. His perspective was out of proportion. When he took a different angle, then he looked at the background and he saw the hills and he saw the mountains. He said, wow, that's perfect. And then he saw the people that were kneeling there and he, he saw, wow, that's perfect. And he saw the grace and the beauty in the painting that nobody else could because everyone else was just looking straight on. But as he went to his knees, he saw a different perspective. Friends, when we go to our knees, when we go to the Lord in prayer, just as we just sang, the, the privilege that we have to go to the Lord in prayer, when we come to our knees, there's a different perspective. And we see Jesus in a whole new way. We see the Father in a whole new way. And as we study this prayer this morning, I think we can see the beauty of this relationship between the Father and the Son, hopefully in a new way. Uh, the notes uh, are found, uh, in, if you got a bulletin today, you'd see some notes there, but also there's some more detailed notes that are found uh, online. So feel free to go to uachome.org and there's some notes that are there. Also, thank you uh, again regarding giving. You, you have been so gracious in your giving. The ushers have some baskets at the back and there'll be a couple of people here at the front as well uh, regarding that. Um, so I want to look at this, uh, this portion of prayer from John 17 through a specific lens. And I, and I think, uh, again, you can study this in so many different ways and we can do a whole series on this. But what I'd like to study it through is through the lens of John 17 and verse 3. And that says... I think this is really the most important verse in the whole prayer. It says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, verse 3, that they may, this is eternal life. This is what eternal life is, to know the only true God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so I'd like to look at this prayer. Uh, if you see your notes, I've divided it up into five different sections. The first one is praying for and knowing the glory of God. The second is praying for and knowing the protection of God. The third is praying for and knowing the holiness of God. And then praying for and knowing the unity of God. And finally, praying for and knowing the love of God. See, knowing Jesus and knowing the Father, that is eternal life. We start here on earth knowing God to a degree but it's only until eternity that we can comprehend the fullness of who God is. He's an infinite being. It's hard for our finite minds to comprehend such vastness and goodness and mercy and love that far extends beyond anything that we have ever experienced or could ever know. But thankfully in eternity, we'll be able to taste that. He starts us off here. If I can say, you know, here's just the appetizer, right? The main course is still coming but he wants us to grow in this relationship through prayer. So the first section, pray for and know the glory of God, verses four and five and verse 24. Verse four and five in John 17 says this, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. What is the glory of God? Can someone tell me? This is great, like you guys are right here, you know? No more preaching just into a camera. All right, so what is the glory of God? If someone were to come and ask you, what's the glory of God? You know, the other advantage is that I know a lot of your names. 
Anyone? What's the glory of God? Excuse me? Holiness. Anyone else? There's so many ways in which you can characterize and talk about God's glory. It's a theological discussion that can go very in-depth. But can I just give you a simple meaning of the glory of God? The simple meaning of God's glory is the beauty, the wonder, the depth, the magnitude, the fullness, and the perfection of his character. Right? I told you simple, right? And I give you all these words. So... Basically, the glory of God is the character of God. It's what attracts us to God. What attracted you to Jesus? It was his love, right? First John 4 says, God is love. The, the perfection of beauty is the love of God, right? The glory of God is his character, right? So when we talk about God's glory, understanding God's glory, seeing God's glory, when we talk about those things in a very simplistic way, again, it could be a larger theological discussion, but in a very uh, simple way of understanding it, the glory of God is the beauty of his character. It's what draws us into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what draws us into relationship with God. We see his love, his kindness, and Franklin, as you said, his holiness, and so many other beautiful aspects of God's character that we see that draws us, it attracts us to him. It says, I want to be like that. Lord, change me from glory to glory into your very image. Change me, change my character from this sinful, uh, ugly self into something that's so beautiful and lovely because of the love of Jesus, into something that's wonderful and amazing. Now, when we look at this, uh, at the gospels, we see many accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that talk about, how Jesus died, his sufferings, his prayer in Gethsemane as he suffered and labored and, and antagonized over the fact that he had to die. But in this prayer, remember, we're talking about perspective, right? In this prayer with his heavenly father, we get a totally different perspective, right? Because what does it say here? In verse four, I brought glory to you here. I, I showed the people the beauty of your character, father, as I walked and talked and I taught and I healed and I did miracles and wonders and signs, I showed the people the beauty of the Father. Today on this beautiful sunny day, when we look up and see the beautiful skies and we see the green grass, we see the opportunity to gather together as a family and as a church to worship the Lord. Can you see and feel the beauty of community and Jesus, as he taught the people, as he did the signs and wonders and miracles and revealed the love of God, they saw the beauty of the Father. And that's why the disciples wanted to know more. And so he says, I brought glory to you. I showed them your character by completing the work you gave me to do. It's so important for us to have this perspective because in all the other perspectives, we see the suffering and the agony that Jesus went through in going to the cross but in this perspective, as we see his prayer with the heavenly father, as he prays, we get a completely different perspective because he says in this conversation with the father, I've completed the work. Remember, this was the eve of his crucifixion, right? The next day he was going to die. But he says here clearly, father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. See, everything Jesus did while he was on earth, all of his teachings, the signs, wonders, miracles, the kindness, the love, the grace, it all pointed to the glory of God. It all pointed to the beauty of the character of the Father. 
and it's what still attracts people to Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you're watching online and you don't know the beauty of the love of God, I wanna invite you to know Jesus, to know his fullness and to know how he reveals the glory of the Father to us. That's why sometimes we ask the question, what would Jesus do, right? We ask the question, but here, the day before his death, we see such resolute confidence in the fact that he'd already completed the work of the Father. Now, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, the creator of all the universe who was there, it spoke to, it pointed to, it reflected, it demonstrated, Jesus hanging on the cross demonstrated to the whole world the amazing love of God that they had never, ever seen before. Jesus hanging on the cross, Jesus dying for the sins of humanity, revealed the glory of God in a way that people had never seen before. Because as he died on that cross, he pointed to the Father and he pointed to the love of God. He pointed to the fact that there was grace and he pointed people to the beauty of the love forgiveness, kindness, and grace of God. It's so hard for even our minds to wrap, uh, to wrap our minds around, right? It goes back to the sweet communion that Jesus had with his heavenly father. And so for now, for us, we need to ask ourselves, are we showing the same type of grace, right? This first portion of the prayer was about the glory of God. Jesus pointed to the glory of God by the way he lived, by the way he acted, by the words he said, by the things that he did. Now the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is, are we doing the same? Are our lives pointing to the glory of the Father? Or when people look at us and see the messiness of our character, they say, why follow Jesus if you're like this? But instead... Our lives need to speak of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you're eating or if you're drinking, whatever you're doing, here he says, do all to reflect the character of God, right? So when you drink your water, you drink to the glory of God to reflect the kindness. Of, what does that mean? Whatever you do to eat and drink. So you're here, you know, it's, it's hot now because of COVID is a little bit different, you know, but if you could, you could share your water with the next person. Isn't that reflecting kindness, right? This past Saturday, we had a Toronto Lions Church outreach and I believe uh, there was, I think, 18 extra loaves that were made. Awesome, thank you everyone for all of those loaves that you've made and they brought that down to minister to the people. That's the kindness of God in action, in tangible format that reflects the glory of God. See, God changes our lives and changes us from glory to glory, from character to character, from love to love, from kindness to kindness. And he grows us in all these beautiful traits and qualities so that we reflect the glory of the Father and we show that to the world. And then the world looks at that and they see, wow, what is this that's happening? And that's why when Jesus hung on the cross, he pointed to the Father and his death was an amazing and uh, wonderful demonstration of the love of God that no one had ever seen before. Scarcely for a righteous person will one die. 
But for your enemies, would someone die? Well, that's what Jesus did. And the beauty of that character, because of the Father, was a reflection of the Father. Jesus said in this prayer, I have given them your glory. I have showed them what the glory of the Father is by the way that I lived. And now he calls us as disciples to follow in that way. In Colossians 3, verse 17, it says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of of the Lord Jesus. Okay, the second one, I gotta go a little bit faster here. All right, pray for and know the protection of God. This is such a beautiful thing. Jesus prayed for the protection of his disciples. He had protected them from the evil one uh, while he was in the world. And now he was going back to the father. And so he prayed to the father and said, father, can you please protect them? Protect my disciples. Verse 11 and 12 says, now I am departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I am coming to you. Holy father, You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost. The first thing we need to understand is that we are protected by God. We are kept, we are covered, we are watched over, we are protected by the Lord. In Psalm 91, verse four and five, it says, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. You know, he counts the very hairs of your head. He knows you by name. Now, does it mean that everything is gonna work out amazing and wonderful in your life? No. Does it mean that you're gonna get every blessing that you pray for and ask for? No. But what it does mean is that the Lord is there to protect you and watch over you and help you in your time of need. That's why in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse three, it says, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. He, He doesn't ask the father to remove the disciples from the world. He doesn't ask them to take them away from the world, but he asks them to protect them in the world to keep them from the evil one. And so we need to realize that spiritual attacks are something that's very real. That there's an enemy of our souls that is coming against us. And we have to realize that that's something that's real. But we also have to understand the beauty of the love of God reflected here in the care and concern of our great high priest in wanting to watch over us. See, our great high priest, Jesus, as this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he watches over us. Now, remember, going back to that filter, that which we're looking this whole prayer by is John 17, verse 3. John 17 and verse 3 that says, to know God, to know the Father, and to know Jesus, that is eternal life. And here, when we talk about protection, we have to know and understand the character of Jesus and the Father that they love to watch over and protect us, right? Jesus, even now, he's at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's watching over us and he's caring for us. And so our response to this is that we also need to pray for others. Pray for the protection of others. Pray for others that they would be kept under the blood of Jesus, that they would be protected from the evil one. This is part of being a disciple, part of being a follower of Jesus, right? The third thing is pray for and know the holiness of God, right? It's it's one thing to be able to look uh, and see how holy and wonderful Jesus is, but it's another thing to be desired, for us to desire to be holy like he is, 
right? To be sanctified like he is, right? John 17, verses 17 to 19 says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth, right? Welcome our, our, our geese friends here. Hopefully they just keep moving on, move on, move on. I don't think they're liking it very much, though. So in, in this section here, we're, we're looking at the holiness of God, the, the, the sanctity of God, the, the truth of God. We get to overhear something in this prayer that's really important, okay? We get to overhear something that's really close to the heart of Jesus. And it's really important for us, especially at this time. And that's his desire for us to know the word of God because the word of God is truth. Let me say that again. The, the desire and the heart of Jesus is for us to know the word of God because his word is truth. See, we're living in a day and age where truth has become relative. The standard of God's word has been questioned and compromised. And sometimes people say, well, that's just an outdated book and what's said in there is not relevant for today. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, if, if, if Moses lived in our days, maybe he would have written something else. Or if uh, Paul lived in our days, he would have written something else. And a lot of times, you know, there's, there's a questioning of the truth. Well, if Jesus lived today, would Jesus be teaching something else? But here we get a glimpse. Remember, this is the night before he's ready to die or the night before he, he dies, right? He's preparing for, for this death and returning to the father. And we get a glimpse into what his heart is. And he wants his disciples and he wants his people and the followers. And he prays for us as well, because in one portion of the prayer, he says, I'm not just praying for my disciples, but for all those who shall follow because of their word. And his heart is for us to know the truth. We're living in a post-truth world right now. I want everyone to understand. The society and culture that we live in, it's a post-truth society, right? That's, that's really what we're living in right now. Truth has become relative. Truth has become what you make it to be. But that's not what Jesus was talking about, right? Jesus wanted them to know the truth so much so it was so important for Jesus to tell them, I want you to know the truth because you are sanctified by knowing the truth. There's a connection between sanctification and holiness and truth. Unless we know the truth, the truth cannot set us free. But if we know the truth, that truth which is absolute and correct and infallible and unchangeable can set us free. The problem is, is that in the society and culture that we're living in, we're living in a post-truth society, right? He was at the point of death. He was just, the day before he was getting ready to die. And his burden is for his disciples and for the people to know the truth and to be sanctified by the truth. And the father was sent Jesus into this world with temptations. He says, Jesus says he's gone through temptations and struggles and difficulties. Did Jesus compromise or change the truth because of the temptations and difficulties that he, and trials that he went through? Did Jesus change the truth because of his personal experience here on earth? 
No, he didn't. The truth didn't change because of the experience that Jesus went through. The truth didn't change because of the temptations and the struggles and the trials that Jesus went through. The truth is the truth. And that's why Jesus said in another place, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And sadly, there are many people that are in bondage and many people that are struggling and going through difficulties because we can't come to the place of acknowledging what the truth is. Instead, we rewrite the truth and say, well, this is true for me. This is what I'm going to live by. But sadly, then you live in bondage. And so Jesus came to set us free. He knows the temptations and the struggles that we go through. He knows the pain and the sufferings that we go through. And he doesn't change the truth because of those experiences, but he gives us grace to stay faithful to that truth. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He has faced all all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. See, his view of sin, his view of of temptations and suffering didn't change because of his experience. But he stayed faithful to the truth. And the truth is what sanctifies us. John 8, verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want to encourage you, friends, to live by the truth of the word of God. Because the truth of the word of God is what sanctifies us. Remember, we're looking at this through John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, to know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And to know Jesus and the Father and the fullness of God is to know the truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to know the truth. You know, the, the Olympics are going on. Anyone here, are you watching the Olympics, right? Some people. We were, Laura and I were watching the Olympics last night, swimming. Laura's a swimmer, so I'm learning lots as I watch uh, swimming with Laura and telling, telling me this, that, and the other. And Canada got a gold, uh, silver medal yesterday, right, in the Olympics, so that was a great thing. But I'm reminded about 100 years ago, you probably heard the story of a man named Eric Little. And Eric Little, he wanted to run. He, he trained, and he was one of the favorites to run in the 100-meter race, right? But what happened was, is that the heats for that race ended up being on a Sunday. And for him, his conviction was that, hey, Sunday is the Lord's day. I need to give that to the Lord. I'm not going to run on a Sunday. And that caused a lot of uproar. A lot of people were saying, Eric, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? But he chose not to run. And instead, he ran in the 400-meter race. And any of you that are athletes, you know what the difference is in training for one thing and training for another thing. And he trained for the 400-meter race instead, and he won the gold medal. It was about 100 years ago. After that, he went back to China. His, his parents were missionaries there before, and he, he stayed there and shared the gospel. And sadly, he ended up in an in a internment camp and ended up passing away just before liberation. Uh, but he poured out his life. For the gospel. And he stayed faithful to the truth that he was given. And he didn't want to change it for anything. And so I want to encourage us in whatever ways that we are, as we study God's word and as we see the truth of the word of God, let's stay faithful to that. Let's stay faithful to the truth because his truth sanctifies us and makes us holy. The next thing is to pray for and know the unity of God. Verses 20 to 23. I want to tell you that we're living in a time when we are divided about everything, right? 
Can anyone see that? Do you feel like we're living in a time when we're divided? Anyone here? Yeah, we're divided about that as well. Right? Some people think we're divided. Other people think we're not. But, you know, we're living at a time right now when we're, we're, we're living in such a polarized culture. I want to make an appeal to you as your pastor. I want to make you an appeal to you to live like Jesus lived and don't let the divisions of this world polarize us to the point where we cannot get along one with another. I'll give you some examples. Politics has divided us. We don't talk about politics from the pulpit, but politics has divided us, right? I know even probably amongst here, politics has divided us. If you say, well, I voted for this candidate, the other person is going to say, what, you're a Christian and you voted for that person? Have you ever heard that before? And then if you, if you stand on the other side and that person says, I voted for this, what, you're a Christian and you voted for that person on the other side? And we start judging one another and putting moral equivalencies one to another and say, how can you morally vote for that person and call yourself a Christian? And we allow politics to polarize us and divide us from being the family of God. Some people are, are, are divided over, over the vaccine. Should I take the vaccine or should I not take the vaccine? You didn't take the vaccine? How come you're not taking the vaccine? You should know better. You should take the vaccine. You took the vaccine? I can't believe it. Why did you know that's not tested or that's not this or that? Why did you, you know, and, and there's all, all of it. It divides us. And it shouldn't be the case. Because how are we reflecting the love of God to others? When Jesus hung on the cross and he died for our sins, when Jesus hung on the cross and he pointed to the glory of God, to the glory of the Father, he wanted all of us to be one. And in this prayer, the night before he died, the burden of Jesus' heart, the cry of Jesus' heart was, Father, please let them be one just as we are one. And sadly, the body of Christ has become divided. And we allow all of these issues. We divide over race. We divide over ethnicity. We divide after the service today. Can I encourage you to go and talk to somebody that you don't know? Our vision statement, and you're going to hear me say this a lot, and I'm going to say this in particular even at the end of services. Our vision statement is to touch our world through Jesus one life at a time. Before you leave this service, and if you're watching online, before you end the stream or when the stream ends today, can I encourage you to find one person that you don't know and introduce yourself to that person? Don't go to the same people because you can talk to them anytime. You have their phone number. You have their email address. You'll talk to them for sure. Can you go to one person who you don't know? If you're watching online, can you maybe call somebody you don't know or email somebody you don't know? And if you're watching online, I don't have contact information. That's why I don't know them. Then email me and I'll give you somebody. Okay. But we get divided. We form our little cliques in the church as well. We have this group that always talks together and that group that talks together and that group that talks together and that group that talks together. And as your pastor, I plead, I beg with you, I ask you, please let us be one as Jesus and the Father is one. 
Let us remove the divisions of color and ethnicity. Let's remove the divisions of politicalness and and this separation and that separation. Let's remove the differences of I'm older and I'm younger and I'm this person and I'm that person. Let's cancel all those things because Jesus canceled it all on the cross. And let us be one. Let's unite our hearts. This was the burden. This was the cry of Jesus. The day before he died, he pleaded with the father and he said, please make them one. Because in heaven, there is no male or female. There's no black or white. There's no Jew or Gentile. No, we are all one in the body of Christ, the beautiful body of Christ. You see the picture of the throne of God in the book of Revelation of peoples and kindreds and tongues and nations all worshiping the Lord together. Can we not have that here as a foretaste of heaven? So many times we look for ways in which we can divide ourselves instead of looking and seeing ways in which we are actually united together. The same blood that flows through me flows through you. It's the blood of Jesus. The same spirit that indwells me is the same spirit that indwells you. It is the Holy Spirit that unites us together as one. But the enemy comes to divide us. Remember John 17 verse 3. This is eternal life to know the Father and to know Jesus and see the beauty of that relationship. I don't have time to go into all of it this morning, but read John 17 when you go home and see the beauty of that oneness between the father and the son. In in verse 21, he says, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Let's remove all of these distinctions and divisions. We're all unique individuals. I'll grant you that. We're all unique. God has created created us all unique. We all have our views and opinions of various things, whether it's political views, whether it's this view or that view. But one view that we cannot change and we shouldn't change is that each and every one of us have been created by the living God and we are endued with the, the, the image of God. We are image bearers of the living and true God. And so we treat one another with respect and dignity. We treat one another with the love of God because we are children of God, part of one's family. Because Jesus said, how, how is it that the world around us are going to know that we are followers of Jesus? Can someone tell me? How will the people around us know the glory of God? They saw the glory of God in Jesus dying on the cross, pointing to the Father. But now Jesus is in heaven. How do the people around us, how do the world see and know the glory of God? Raymond, can you say that louder? Because we love one another. This is how the world will know. They'll walk by us. Whoa. You got male and female, you got got white and black, you have this political side and that political side, you have this and that, you have all of these people living, loving together. Oh, in the world, it's divided. But let let that division not come into the house of God. 
Let us be the difference. Can I get an amen? amen? Let us be the difference. Let us mark, let us be marked with the image and character of Jesus that draws people together. In verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one. Remember, what is the glory of God? His character. I have given them the character. I have given them, Father, your character. I have blessed them with the love of God. I have showed them the character of God that they may be one. That they may be one. The world is full of division. But can I ask you, can I exhort you, can I encourage you to be the reflection of God's character? Psalm 133 speaks about that blessing of unity. Okay, lastly, I'm just going to come to the end here is to pray for and know the love of God. See, verse 23, John 17, verse 23 says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, this just blew my mind, okay? Let me read that again so your mind can be blown as well, okay? That you love them as much as you love me. So if you think about it, it's in a logical sense. The love the Father has for Jesus has to be more than how much he loves us, right? Has to be. I mean, that's Jesus. Who doesn't love Jesus? But here he says that you love them, the disciples, us, as much as you love me. This, this is blows my mind. You're telling me that the Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus? Hold on, he had a whole eternity to love Jesus. And you're telling me that he loves me that way? See, it's difficult for us as human beings to understand God's love because we often default to earning love, right? We often default to earning somebody else's love. If two people are dating and they're trying to date and they're thinking about getting married, well, what are they doing? Well, they're doing different things out of love, but that whatever they do, it's earning greater and greater love. But the kind of love that Jesus shows and the kind of love that the Father shows is unconditional love. It's not based on any conditions. Humanly speaking, we earn other people's love through the good things that we do. But the love that Jesus shows, it's hard for us to comprehend. It's unconditional, self-sacrificing love. No conditions asked. It's hard for us to comprehend but that's the kind of love that was shown between the father and the son. And Jesus says here, Father, I want them to understand that love as well. He wants us to understand the fullness of his glory, the fullness of his character revealed in his love. And that's why at the end in John 17, verse 25 and 26, he says, you're oh, righteous father. The world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them. I have shown you, shown them your glory and will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be where? In them. And I will be in them. It's just a cross section of unity and love all being mixed together. Friends, brothers, sisters, God's calling us to know and understand the love of God as we see it reflected in the relationship between the Father and the Son. 
And if you're here today or you're watching online, you've never experienced that love, I want to invite you to experience the love of Jesus like you've never experienced before. And can I encourage you to be the channels and the outlets to share that love with others so that the world can see the glory of God in us, so that the world can see how we are the reflection of God's glory. I want to close with a story um, of a man named Monty Williams. You know, the NBA Finals was this past week. I know lots of sports going on, right? The NBA Finals was this past week, and it was the Phoenix Suns versus the Milwaukee Bucks. And the coach of the Phoenix Suns, his name is Monty Williams, and they lost the finals in six games. And he did something after they lost game six and they lost the finals. He did something that was unheard of. He went into the opposing team's locker room, into the Bucks' locker room. He put his arm around the star player and he congratulated him and the whole team for winning the championship. This was right after an emotional press conference that he was, you know, it was very hard to accept the defeat. But he went there to congratulate them. And so many sports commentators applauded him for doing that. And they acknowledged that his true character was revealed there, which was exceptional. Because they'd never seen something like that. An opposing coach, the losing coach, going into the winning team's locker room after the finals to congratulate them. And he said this, I just wanted to come and congratulate you guys as a man and a coach because you guys deserve it. I'm thankful for the experience. You guys made me a better coach and you made us a better team. Now, this was amazing in and of itself. But Monty Williams is a devoted and dedicated follower of Jesus. And about two years ago, when he took over the team, the Suns were 19 and 63, terrible losing team. And his mantra was, the essence of my coaching is to serve. And in two years, he turned around the team. He, he, won the, uh, he was named the coach of the year by the National Basketball Coaches Association. But there's something even more astounding about this man. That was about five years ago, he lost his wife in a tragic car accident. She was hit head on by another car. And the driver of that car was under the influence of drugs. She had three, they had five kids. Three of the kids were in the car. Thankfully, the three kids survived. Only, her, only she died. And during the funeral service, Monty Williams quoted Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things uh, work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And he said a few things. I want to read to you a few things that he said in his eulogy for his wife. He said, in my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. Psalm 73 verse 1 says God is good. And 1 John 4 verse 16 says God is love. During times like these, it's easy to forget that because we have gone through, gone through something pretty tough and it's hard, we want an answer. But we don't always get that answer that we want. And we can lose sight of the fact that God loves us. Everybody is praying for me and my family, which is right. Now listen to what he says next. But let us not forget that there were two in this situation, two people in this situation, and that family needs prayer as well, and we have no ill will towards that family. I tell you, on that day, in that funeral service, Monty Williams was like this. Not physically, but he was like this, demonstrating and pointing to the Father as he showed the glory of the love of Christ. 
The glory of God was reflected in Monty Williams' reaction to his wife's tragic death. And because of his position of prominence as a sporting coach, he showed the whole world what it is to love Jesus. He showed the whole world what it is to forgive. And he showed the whole world what it is to remove divisions and contentions. He showed the whole world what it is to be a follower of Jesus. He showed the whole world in the midst of such pain and loss and hardship and difficulty what it is to serve a living Savior and how the love of Jesus can transform a person's life. And can I encourage you in the same way? Shall we all stand? Can I encourage you in the same way that let's reflect the love of Jesus. Let's learn from our great high priest and let's worship him. As we sing this song, Lord, maker, savior, I know that through it all, you are greater. Your love for me will never fade away. Those who hope in you will never be ashamed because I know who you are. Jesus showed us the father. We know who the father is. We know his character. We know his glory. Now let's follow him.